Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises, one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. Spoiler warning, if you're saving your first playthrough of Link's Awakening for the Switch remake, you may want to skip this episode. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. When you wash up on the beaches of Kovalint Island, you aren't given a princess or a kingdom to save. In fact, you're the reason monsters have started showing up. You have only one mission on Kovalint, finding your way off of it so you can go home. As the first handheld entry in the series, Link's Awakening is a far more intimate game than its Super Nintendo predecessor. When describing the original Legend of Zelda, Shigeru Miyamoto likened it to a miniature garden you could revisit anytime you liked, a philosophy that resurfaces again in the Game Boy Classic. Kovalent may be smaller than Hyrule, but what it lacks in size it makes up for in density and character. Director Takashi Tezuka wanted to create a small-town feel and sense of mystery. Serving as a scriptwriter, Yoshiaki Koizumi was instrumental in creating the most involved plot the series had seen up to that point. Link's Awakening became a space for experimentation, the results of which would reverberate through the games that followed. Link's Awakening broadened what Zelda games could be. It crafted a different kind of journey, one about saving yourself while slowly coming to terms with what that really means. You're not a hero so much as a detective, trying to make what you can of the folksy characters around you. The island of Koholin is designed for you to explore every nook and cranny, to revisit each screen with your new item or make notes of any islanders you might trade with. Link's Awakening isn't a game about saving the day. It's about discovering a world in the palm of your hand, coming to care for it, and then watching it disappear. Luckily for us, we can revisit Koholint whenever we wish. So I'm just going to go ahead and start off the discussion by saying that I love this game a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. I don't know. I, I have a lot of, I guess I was starting to become concerned after A Link to the Past that I didn't have love in my heart anymore for video games or like wasn't going to enjoy any of this. But I, I don't know, very quickly into this one, I was like, oh no, like you can still love things. Like the dream is still, still alive. Things. Yeah. Don't worry, Link's Awakening. We still love you. We do. Yeah. <laughs> There are parts yeah. that I don't love, but I still came away from the whole experience being like, wow, that's really, I really enjoyed this game. Yeah, the character of this game is is wonderful. And really, like, especially when it comes to the things that are kind of, you know, issues or, or blunders or things we just don't like, it's it, it seems to be more down to, like, more of a clumsiness than anything, where it's just like, huh, that's... It kind of silly. I don't know why that would be implemented that way, but it's not like it's not like hyper detrimental. It's just that there's some things in the consistency of the game play itself that comes to it more than anything. When it comes to like the the theming, how everything comes together and whatnot, it it's it's wonderful. It's uh, especially following up after a link to the past with like its scope and its scale that it goes for and everything like that. Link's Awakening is a really humble little game. I think my favorite part of the game is like the interactions that you have with the villagers and how sort of like occupied the world feels like it feels really like you stumble upon different creatures at every corner. And I think that I really enjoy how it definitely just feels like each part of the map is occupied. It feels really sprawling in that way where unlike A Link to the Past where, you know, it felt like everything was kind of condensed to like West Hyrule with like Kakariko Village and like some of the houses that were around there. I feel like with Link's Awakening, it feels like there's so much detail put into every square of the game and you kind of get to have those interactions 
throughout the game until kind of like the very end. Then I think it kind of tapers off too much, but that's just kind of, that's so common in these games. You get to like the last two dungeons and they're like, ah, beat the game, please. (laughs) Yes. We we're tired and we want to go home. So, you know, but that's like all of these games. So we ran out of ideas. I hope this is good enough. And, uh, but like fortunately like it is it's it is because i even just thinking through my head going from dungeon one to two to three all the way up through like eight there really is again yeah except for really except for seven and eight there there is like you're you're pretty much at least constantly running into one or two new characters for every area you're going into and that i think adds so much to it because by the time you hit dark world and link the past it's like okay you might see people hidden in caves and that's uh, that's it. And then you have you know the the thieves, you know, the village of thieves and whatnot. But that's not really. Uh, I mean, there's, there's not even really much there. I mean, which is kind of a point. But it's like it does it. You know, link the past feels empty in a way that isn't satisfying or I think meant to fit its tone. Yeah. Link's Awakening, like the characters aren't deep, but the point is, it's you know, like Link's Awakening is not about like it being an inherently hyper deep game it's just simply like it's the small things that kind of add up to the experience of your adventure um that when it's time for when it's time to go at that point it's you know it it has it hits more that like it hits hard like more than it has any right to you're like there's there's no reason to i don't have i don't have that close attachment to the char- yeah. these characters do i no but why am i so sad yeah <laughs> how how am i so like sad that it's going to be gone basically i think it's charming and it also works because it the game is so good that you're also as a player you're like the game is over and i'm sad so it all kind of couples together in a nice way where it's kind of almost this meta thing where like the world is disappearing because you've beaten it and it's over and you're waking up from your dream as a player oh deep real deep there real real meta real real deep yeah um yeah thanks koizumi yeah thank you (laughs) Oh, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I really enjoy how uh, the build up to the dungeons in this game works and how you kind of have to unlock the dungeon. So it kind of helps, you know, even though the world can't be very big, it helps the game feel very dense. And like, there's always like something to do and you get to kind of like seek out the dungeons, which is fun and time consuming. Um, And I think like, it's kind of funny, this game, Maybe because it is so, I don't know, dense and just kind of small that it reminds me of Metroid in the way that like every time I got a new item, it felt like I kind of had to comb through the entire world again to like see where I could use it and where I could like cross gaps with the rocks feather and like the power bracelet and stuff like that. Or, you know, keeping a mental checklist of like, oh, I guess I should go back into like that cave. And I would really like comb through like the whole world. And there's a lot to do after every dungeon to like explore the world. And I think it's meted out in a satisfying way in which it feels like you're trying to figure out where to go, but the game isn't like screaming at you. This is where you have to go. This is how you navigate this. Right. So it doesn't, even though like there may not actually be that many options, it feels like since I am looking for the options, it feels pretty open. Even though yeah. it's so linear, which is kind of wild to me that it felt like such an exploration-based game, even though you have to do everything in order. Yeah, exactly. It's it's strange. It's weird coming off of Link to the Past where, you know, a complaint was, you know, 
the narrative was causing for things to be more focused and have more of a structure. Um, but how it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily pay off the way that it, it should. Like it's necessary in places, but in the sense like the, the shift, like not enough things shifted in direction for it to have like been as I think good, at least when it comes to like the middle of the game compared to like the beginning and the end, as far as like the payoff goes. That it's it's weird to be like, okay, so Link's Awakening is more linear. How is this going to be any better? It's like they even tell you, oh, you got to go to the desert next. Or you got to go to the... And it's like, they're just... They just... They'll tell you. And you're like, you think, wouldn't that just ruin everything? And it's like, well, surprisingly, a couple really small things... Well, a big thing, the map design. But like the small aspects, like the fact that you have to actually like discover the map square by square. Yes. Yeah. is really important. It's a super, super important piece to to leading to this sense of exploration to it. Like, it's never, like, if we're going to make a comparison to Super Metroid in that sense, you know, like, people are like, oh, well, Super Metroid's not really that nonlinear. And it's like, well, you're right. It's It actually really isn't. Like, people still, but, like, people still get lost in it. Um, some of that's just Metroid being Metroid. But, like, like even apart from that, there is you have a sense of map awareness that it's like you have to suddenly think about what you've already looked at, like where you've already been. And suddenly you're already, you're like scanning through your minds now, like, wait a second. So I might've been able to go by there before, but something was stopping me, but I don't remember quite yes, what it is. Yes, the classic. I don't just, remember what was stopping me. So I have to go pursue it anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and here, since this isn't Metroid, the game just, like goes ahead and just tells you like hey you need to go this way and for the most part it won't just explicitly tell you i mean it's it's not like it's like a like a deep puzzling thing either you get there and you're like oh okay yeah, i can do this now yeah but you still have to figure out how it can and honestly i found myself uh at times when i would get too caught up in like looking for other optional things and then be like wait what is my main quest i would go onto the map because you can find like you can go into like the squares and like it will tell you what it is so if the owl tells you something you can like click on that square again and it will tell you what you're supposed to do so i would like yeah. go back to the last dungeon and be like uh where am i supposed to go mr owl and then he would tell me yeah <laughs> um and i honestly needed that just to like have a some sort of guidance because it is surprising that you can kind of be like okay i need to go over there how do i get there because honestly this this map, especially compared to A Link to the Past, is way, 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 way more maze-like. Yeah. It's riddled with obstacles. Yes, tons. And that plays a really big part in it. It ends up playing somewhat into a flaw of the game, mostly the, the item equipment limitations. Yeah. In the sense that it's just like, oh boy, rock. You get so many abilities, but having to break them out every three steps is really, really annoying. Yeah, it's um, it's not like always terrible. Like I think they they have they have they do a good job of designating certain like roadblock points. So they they're like, okay, the player can access this once they have that, and they won't need to do this too much. Sometimes, sometimes they're not the best about it. It's sometimes it's a little sloppy. It's like, okay, why? Like, I get we're trying to reuse items again, but like this isn't meaningful that I need to pick up rocks again because yeah. I already have. Like I wouldn't have gotten here without the power bracelet. Why am I being gate kept? for the power bracelet again like why am i being checked at the gate again for power for yeah. power bracelet it's like i had to do that earlier so it it's it's not perfect in that regard but it's not especially cumbersome there there are other aspects of it that kind of make it annoying that have less to do with the item checks more so like like the prompts that pop up mm -hmm. letting you know hey this is a 
oh boy, this is a heavy rock. I just wish I could lift it. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's very frustrating that the item prompts show up even after you have gotten that item and you just don't currently have it equipped. It's just like, at some point, like the dungeons, I mean, I guess the dungeon where you get the power base that doesn't explicitly have you pick up rocks, almost like pretty much only pots, but like, by the time you get out, you've you've seen these roadblocks. They're they're distinct in their design. Yeah. Like you were like, huh, that's like a weird thing that's just blocking my way. It's it's like the trees in Pokemon that's just like, oh, duh. Yeah, of course I can cut down this specific tree. Yeah. Because it's just it's a weird shape. It's not even a tree. It's like a shrub, but sure, yes. So it's yeah. So the game kind of just checks you at different places for reasons that I'm like, I think this could have been built a little better but like overall like in terms of effect and like what it does to like like kind of really etch the map into the player's mind it's really really good in terms of like iconography especially like link the past was already really good at making a more distinct world but it's like it really like i think that it gets blocked out into certain chunks that you're like oh i got to explore this during this time frame now or this during this time frame now like suddenly each piece of them, they're kind of compartmentalized. So they, they kind of stand out more. And at the same time, like every time I come back to this game, I'm like, wait a second. Did I, was I, am I going around the wrong way? Like, am I gonna hit the dead end again? Yep, that's the dead end. Dang it, how did I forget that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of always appreciate when these games kind of elude my memory in a way that's like, that's like good and not frustrating. And for the most part, they do a good job about that. And Link's Awakening is definitely... Um, definitely a prime example of that. It really does add to the. I just, I was surprised. I was surprised to see like, man, we're talking about how Zelda get more gets more linear. So what does this game do to to make exploration feel like exploration? And so yeah, that was that was something that just kind of really got me kind of stoked as I started, you know got halfway through it. And I was like, dang, okay, this game is just just like you know really good at pacing the way like this kind of the way you explore the map and the way it's handled in particular yeah kind of like really sticks in your brain yeah i think like the only sort of criticism that i have for the game is i just felt that like uh, some of the dungeon design to me was a little frustrating and kind of i think like there was a little too much reliance on backtracking that personally i found a little frustrating i mean Part of it is like, I might be a little lazy and just like, I'm not the best at uh, memorizing like navigation puzzles in dungeons. Like mm. just not, I can recall like, oh, I remember there's a place to use this, but I still found like navigating some of Link's Awakening's dungeons to be a little frustrating and kind of like, there were points in this game where I used an FAQ just cause I was like, I just got to a certain point where I felt like I, had really tried to exhaust like all of my options and was trying to do everything and just really, really couldn't figure it out. Was finally like, okay, I guess I have to cave. And I, I didn't feel great about it, but it, you know, there are certain things where I felt like the game was a little cheap at times. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, let's talk about a uh, bumble walls. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, doesn't, it doesn't always play by its own rules. And I find that a little frustrating. So yeah. Yeah, like you, you thought level eight in Zelda one was bad. It's uh, <laughs> as early as shrines or level uh, level six were getting strange inconsistencies with it. Yeah, and like I I'm, I swear that wall did not make the wall can be bombable sound with my sword because they started. I realized you could just do that because not all the bombable walls. There are some bombable walls in this game that have cracks, and then there are some that don't. 
but instead of wasting bombs, because they're kind of a precious commodity in this game at times, I would just yeah. then do like the thing where you stab the wall to see if it sounds hollow or whatever. It makes a different sound effect. But I swear there were some walls where I would hit the wall and it would make the same sound. And I'd go, guess I can't bomb it <laughs> and like walk away. <laughs> and then I would read the guide and be like, oh, you're supposed to bomb here. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, and I felt so stupid because I felt like, well, yeah, that seemed like the right thing to do. But it felt like it wasn't. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. But, you know, a small... A small complaint. Yeah, it's the thing that will probably end up stump. Like there are, there's some like legitimately good, just navigation puzzle work done. Like overall, like the way. I mean, it does. I definitely agree that it definitely backtracks you a lot. Crawfish Mall, uh, level level uh five, in particular. I think it's an it's a neat gimmick that <laughs> basically the item is stolen from the chest and you have to find this 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 goofy skeleton guy. And, and track him down and fight him multiple times so he finally just stops moving. Um, but you are basically shuffling around and checking every spot where he could potentially show up in. And I believe there's a set order for it. I'm, I'm almost certain there is a set There order. is. I actually, I think this is a real your mileage may vary situation because in the case of that one, I picked up on the, uh, I believe it's like whatever room you're in, it's like however many blocks are in the room, that's like the order that you're supposed to do it in. And oh, okay. for whatever reason, I picked that up really quickly and went, oh, I guess I'm supposed to fight him again. Oh, I need to go to the room with the two blocks and the three blocks and the four blocks. So that was one where oh, I was able to like sharp. really figure it out. But I, for the life of me, I had the hardest time. Uh, I understood the puzzle and like what I was like kind of supposed to do in Eagle's Tower. But how many times I like kept going up and down and like not knowing when to hit the switch and I got so confused and I I the only time I used save states was there because I got so frustrated but I didn't want to look it up so I would just like throw the ball around trying to figure out where we're supposed to go and I was like but I was determined that I was not going to keep chasing it and redoing the sequence over and over so I said screw it and she used save states until I figure out what the solution is because this is I don't like this, <laughs> this yeah that's south that's southwestern pillar I end up doing i end up doing this like really weird it's probably not even the right solution to it um which i suppose that's neat but it's like annoying because it's it seems like they want you to navigate the ball around the other side and throw it across but then you have to defeat the 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 suit card enemies or whatever they whatever you call them the ones you have to match the suits yes on you have to defeat to them the, so that you can hook to the chest so that you but can, if you haven't open the chest the chest will disappear if you're yes. if you go too far away and so i'm like but if you hook shot so, to the chest then you have to cycle around anyways because you're already yeah it's yeah because then you have to fall down and oh that's right oh my goodness yeah it's, it's dreadful yeah that's, that was yeah. The, that's the very specific room where i was like uh i'm gonna save state this before i start like testing out these theories because uh i really don't want to repeat this yeah and, like lose my will to live yeah, whereas like later Zelda design is more much more clean, almost sometimes too clean that it's like too obvious at yeah. times. This this it's like that's just strangely arbitrary. It's like it's super it would weird. be fine if it's just it's it's mostly just annoying because the cost to the wrong solution is really annoying. So if it was like cleaner in the sense that wherever you brought the ball, it would just respawn in the same room, then that would be chill. 
but the fact that if you make a wrong move and it falls down a hill, you have to go and fall down and cycle all the way back to that one broom and pull the lever and take the ball out. Like that's like kind of yeah, it's not. Um, it's like just it's annoying. Not <laughs> the best layout at times. No, it's very frustrating. So, yeah, I, I think I think in general that some of that stuff is done better on much later down the line. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, I mean, I think I, st- I think I still like the dungeons as a whole. Cause I think, uh, and I don't know, this is more so safe for like comparing the game explicitly, but I think that it, it straddles a fine line between the original Legend of Zelda and a link to the past. And so I do like some of the ideas. I like that there is a lot more combat involved, uh, in this game. And I like the way the combat feels. I think it's nice. Yeah. And you get a lot of weird, interesting options. The way that items are doled out to you in this game is like uh, such a really interesting and curious order. OP yeah, boomerang the forever. Feather. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that the boomerang is just strangely overpowered. They're like, awesome. that's the end. You, you trade in most likely your shovel because um, why anything else at that point? And you get the boomerang, you're like, that's okay i mean that's a nice option i guess but like you probably you will almost certainly have the hook shot by this point and then you're like oh wow the boomerang just like kills everything yes. okay <laughs> that's that's cool yeah so which i guess like if we're following the real life example i'm like okay that's actually like a real boomerang <laughs> that it actually has a bladed edge to it and actually kills stuff that's actually how a boomerang works not like a, a dinky toy that Mm-hmm. makes monsters confused for a bit it's like no it actually it just kills stuff it's like okay i'm uh you know what i'm on board this is nice yeah so it's it's fun it's a fun little bonus it's weird to see the boomerang in this kind of context when it's usually like the first thing you see in the game so so and then they give you the rock's feather which is a new addition here and a pretty fun one at that um and because of the programming of the way link's sword interacts with stuff it just doesn't care about layers so which is to say, like, when you're in the air, you can still hit stuff on the ground. And as a result, you can just throw out jumping spin attacks and just win the game with that. It's it's so ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's. I feel like it'd be a challenge run to just literally not have the Rock's Feather equipped at all, besides its necessary uses. Because I'm just thinking, I'm like, huh, this actually might be trickier to actually try to navigate but when you can jump and throw sword swings like i'm not saying it breaks the game in half in such a way that it's like it's not fun it's actually really entertaining because it's the game is already kind of like it's charming and it's not too difficult to begin with i don't mind it it's, it's a thing like if it was like this in a link that passed it would probably severely hinder it more <laughs> than it would here so or like the original legend of zelda which would just utterly ruin yeah it would the be challenge of that game here it's like i don't i never mind it as much it's just way too fun to do a jumping spin attack sweep the entire room of enemies open the door and the moment pick up the key and walk out it's like that's <laughs> that's nice <laughs> yeah i didn't even really realize that that was an exploit like i most of the time i don't know i yeah, guess they, i kind of kept the rock i don't know jumping around with the rock's feather is fun but i felt like the game because well because it's in the game it's i don't know it still felt relatively well balanced to me yeah it's it's not unreasonable there's actually a good number of situations where it's not advisable to just use it constantly so it it really just depends and so Mm -hmm. yeah it's just fun it's just fun to use and i think that's uh really what counts this this item selection on the whole is is overall uh you know it's it's small but it's like everything does what it needs to yeah and everything's uh, utilized like a lot yeah oh yeah 
as much as it's kind of frustrating to like have to wait so long and like get the flippers as like a dungeon item i don't know i think it's like smart that those progression items are really tied to the dungeon and like honestly like just fighting with your sword is enjoyable enough and uh there's i don't know there's enough combat options for me that you know it feels like you're gaining something meaningful and that's cool with me like i don't, I don't know i mean i'm fine with it it doesn't bother me yeah yeah it's kind of um it's it's very similar to zelda one in the sense link the past was going for more of just the like hey these are well, like well zelda one it was kind of half and half as far as items needed versus items that are just good to have and here it's like yep you basically need this but like yeah kind of you know just in the context of everything we've been saying so far it makes sense that it's structured this way and it benefits like the game's map design a lot to have it done this way so it's and it's good it's definitely one of the zelda games that has that best balance of like the usability of the items versus like its necessity as like needing to function in the world or something like that here overall like as far as functionality and its actual usefulness of just like oh i want to have the hook shot out right now it's like hey it's actually like pretty nice to have out so it's good and bombs bombs are actually bombs are kind of neat to use in this game i mean i didn't use them a ton but like a part of their regular uses but like in the places where they were needed to kill enemies they're kind of fun you can hold them in your hands they won't blow up um oh really while you're holding them oh, yeah i did not I, know that i forgot that it was this game that that had that and i don't know no that, that doesn't that doesn't show up in the oracle games again i think it's i think it's uh exclusive to this game that you can just hold the bomb so if you throw it and you're like oh i don't think that's gonna blow up on time you can just scoop it back up and then um bombs also bomb explosions don't damage you in this game just like in the original which is also just like wait really <laughs> super, they don't yeah i didn't so if know you're that that a, was a thing in either yeah. game oh my gosh <laughs> yep wow. so you can just you can just camp out by your explosion like wait like by your bomb it blows up the door and you just walk straight through and it's just kind of i don't know it's super goofy wow i, love it. I wish i knew that <laughs> yeah just uh, it's the deets it's all in the deets the, more the you details know. are great okay so um Let's go ahead and move on to presentation. Uh, I'll start off by saying that I really, really love the way that this game looks. I'm a big fan of its art style and I actually think that I like its depiction of Link better than A Link to the Past. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> controversial or not, but I like this sort of like chibi style and I think that they did a good job of like really narrowing him down to like his most basic elements. So it's definitely like a lot more fleshed out than the NES version, you know, can't be as sophisticated as the Super Nintendo, but I really like what they did with it and what they did with the character designs in general. I I think, especially thinking about like the artwork because, you know, effectively this is the same Link as A Link to the Past and his artwork is done pretty much the same way. Oh, I guess we I should think... mention, sorry. I guess we should mention that we both played the DX version because oh, why would yes. we not play that version? So There's really no reason not to, unless you really like the, the screen wrap glitch a lot and like to abuse it, because that's a that's a thing that's more exploitable in the original, I guess. That's just for fun, fun little fact there. It's usually <laughs> used for speed running, but like, I don't know, apart from that, this color's nice. What's yeah. wrong with you? Play this game. Sorry, so... So I was talking about Link's sprite, but I, re I realized I was like, oh, before, you know, if we're going to talk about the way this game looks. It's important to note that we're seeing it in color, which I think is the best way to see it. <laughs> I can't even imagine playing this game without color. It's kind of weird to say that because it's like talking about movies without color. <laughs> but it's like, but it's like that was like 20 years ago. So that's like really weird to think about now. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad. I was uh, so I was talking about the uh, sprite 
of Link and that oh. I like it better than A Link to the Past. And then that's when I that's when I interrupted you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, Link's sprite. I like especially in regards to his artwork, which is it's got like a um it's got kind of like a like a nineties anime style. I mean, especially the big old poof of hair coming out in front of him is a very, very nineties anime thing, in particular eighties, nineties look to him but he's got it's got he's kind of got like a cute look to him and i i find that this sprite even just thinking about the link to the past sprite i'm like what what was it what was it trying to represent besides the like the basic i like iconography yeah in that sense i don't think it really has a style to it it's just kind of like i don't know i've never liked it it just it fits the like the art direction of the game but it's like I'm like, this, is, this has always felt like a, such a weird link to me for that reason. When yeah. I look at his artwork and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know. But I look at it, this game and I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Totally. And when you go to, um, you know, when you go to like the photographer and whatnot, he takes pictures. Even those are, are like heavily stylized into like this kind of chibi, uh, chibi look, which I think is absolutely perfect and also just incredibly adorable. It fits the the feel of the game extremely well so when i saw him like just like that just and especially seeing him in that in a photo i was like you know what yeah no i totally buy this this is cool yeah this is great this is, this is wonderful and it adds to just the the atmosphere of the game and the way the characters are designed they're just quirky and fun and it's that's i couldn't ask it for any other way really yeah it's so much personality i love the the just like the addition of like the photos is so cute and like I totally did not unlock very many of them this go around but just looking at them like they're just I don't know it's just such a fun detail and it makes the world feel so much bigger and it's one of those things that like helps build an emotional connection with like the people that you're around I don't know it's so sweet I'm looking at these photos now and I'm like oh my gosh you know (laughs) it it really helps to build such an emotional connection between all of these things and yeah, because you have you kind of have moments in a way. There's more, like if if moments are what's gonna help kind of define the experience of a narrative in Zelda. Like they're they're gonna, like they're things that are gonna punctuate and make them more memorable. Then that's like things like these are important. And it's like I definitely say no. I love these additions. And I think if I'm correct on this, that the deluxe the DX version actually made these additions and these weren't in the original yeah i'm pretty sure it was just dx that had them because it didn't because game boy printer compatibility was a thing that was added later on so yeah i think i think that was what played a part into as well so some of it might have been supporting like a rather defunct peripheral in that sense but just like you know they're in the game and you can view them anytime so in that like in the sense they they're still like a permanent part of the the experience and so it still adds to it that you have a photo album to to kind of scan through from time to time. Yeah, it's cute. So the so the music has a different team uh, this time around. Yes, a rather distinct team. Yeah. I, I'd, um, so for Zelda 2, we specifically, we had pretty much, you know, Koji Kano was completely out of the picture. We had Akito uh, Nakasuka. And we still haven't seen him again yet, but I did say that we were going to see him again, and we will. Um, <laughs> but, but Link's Awakening is not that time. And in fact, we have kind of the strangest group here yeah of of composers they're not out of nowhere or anything like that they actually you know they got some clout and you might even recognize a couple of these uh at least if not the names at least the nicknames here as well but they're they're people who basically wouldn't ever touch the zelda series again yeah Um, which is bizarre but i think it lends such a just kind of like the dreamlike and otherworldly tone that this game has yeah it makes it really distinct yeah so these names in particular so the we have uh 
think we had three different names. I don't I don't remember mm-hmm. the third, and that's because I couldn't remember his history either because I couldn't find anything. But we have uh, yeah, it was uh, we'll it was start... two female composers, and then uh, Kazumi Tataka. Uh, the th- it's Minako Hamano who did a, went on to do a bunch of Metroid music, and then Ishikawa. Yeah, so Ishikawa doesn't, to my knowledge, have any other history that I've seen. Yeah, which is she composed weird. for like some she composed for like some Game Boy games, and then that was it. And that was it. Yeah. Wow. So probably just kind of lent the kind of like classic almost like nostalgic vibe that the games have i, I wonder i don't know yeah i, I don't know like, i would what, i would wonder if she helped play a role in sort of working with like the sound font and like you know that kind of stuff and like sort of bringing like the game boy color no pun intended sort of to the music <laughs> but i don't know i don't know for sure yeah, without like kind of just postulating on the the people involved here, like because you have Kazumi Tataka, and if you're not familiar, just you know he goes by Kazumi KK Slider Tataka. Yes, that's the Animal Crossing composer. He'd also he he did a pretty wide variety of stuff, but he has that same general tone that kind of runs throughout them. Uh, we you know Wave Race sixty four, Luigi's Mansion, Wii Sports. If you just kind of think of the way those are composed and whatnot, that you can definitely pick bits and pieces of it, but it's not immediately distinct either and the same can be said for uh hamano as well i would say like the more atmospheric bits the the songs that are kind of more disconcerting or have kind of like a sense of uncertainty or like looming to it i think can most likely be owed to hamano's influence in that respect yeah she feels very responsible for the dungeon themes when you listen to the dungeon yeah. themes you're like metroid <laughs> so i yeah. feel like you definitely hear a lot of her influence in there yeah, exactly. And so we do, um, unlike Zelda 2, we do, Koji Kondo is, he actually is a sound advisor as part of this. And um, I think it could be pretty easily inferred that that's probably to kind of keep, at this point, with A Link to the Past effectively establishing the iconography, the, the theming of, of like the series at this point. Um, I imagine that him being on was probably to kind of help in some ways maintain that yeah it needs someone there to make sure that it's sounding like zelda yeah that it doesn't just like oh this is just some it's like wow this zelda game doesn't feel like a zelda at all and it's like you know it's a very it's it wouldn't take much for it to really not feel like a zelda game it is like for what it is there's a there's very particular details that help keep it in line with that and i think um I think the musical callbacks that aren't like direct rips, but in some ways are clearly like thematic callbacks, I think are a matter of him kind of helping establish thematic yeah. throughput. My favorite thing about the music is how it really helps with the storytelling and the atmosphere of the game. And you can hear it just like kind of right off the bat with like the field theme that you have, like your classic Legend of Zelda overworld theme and everything sounds normal. And, you know, it's just the same, you know, it's the same thing as always. And then you get that little turn at the end of it that gives it sort of a spookier direction. And it's like a little rift on it where you go, oh, wait a second. Like it has a little bit of a twist to it. So something about, you know, even just if you take what we know about the story of, ah, it was all a dream, and you look at the field theme, it's right there. And it's there in other aspects of it, too. So I I kept humming, like, the Mabe Village theme to myself because it got so stuck in my head. And then I've hummed it so many times that I realized that in that theme, there has, it has this little callback to, like, Zelda's lullaby.
And it could mm-hmm. be a coincidence, but honestly, there isn't that much music in the series at this point. So for that to exist, I think it's like got to be somewhat intent. Like it's got to be somewhat intentional, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And then my favorite. So you know, everyone knows, and like the the big takeaway from this game is like the ballad of the windfish, which is a great piece, and it's really cool how you literally collect instruments throughout the game and build it together into this thing, and you get to hear then all the instruments come together and play this theme. There's so much, there's so many musical elements put into this game and that you have multiple songs on the ocarina, you get an ocarina and like you literally collect instruments, you learn different, you know, it's it's really tied to the game in a cool way. And my favorite piece of music the entire game is um, when you go to the Southern Shrine, you enter this shrine and it's not like a full dungeon. It's just like you're going to like get you know, a key or something. And so you go into there and you hear this sort of remix of the Ballad of the Windfish, but it's kind of spookier and it's a little sadder and you don't really know what's going on. And then it all builds up to you seeing this mural that's essentially telling you that if you wake the windfish, then all of the world is going to disappear. And it's such a great, like, it works so well thematically and from that point onward, I feel like the tone of the game really changes and the tone of the dungeon theme, it all becomes a lot more menacing and just foreboding. And I just think that that's such a wonderful turning point in the game. It's so cool. Yeah. I love it. It's it's awesome in the sense that it sets up the sense of inevitability of what you're doing in that sense. And yet, like, it's like you as the player, you're compelled for because that's your objective. But at the same time, you realize you're like, I'm just undoing everything. Like, all of this, like... Like, all of this I'm, like, experiencing is just going to be, like, it's just part of a dream that I'm effectively fading out of existence by by completing my objective. It's, like, suddenly, like, for, yeah, especially for how, like, not, I don't even put this, like, for how standard of a game series Zelda is, this is, like, astoundingly pretty subversive. And it's probably a large part of why Link's Awakening remains such a favorite for so many people is probably just because of this this it's a simple thing that simply works against the idea of like you know you have an objective do the objective but then the objective is is erase the dream from existence the dream world from existence yeah in that sense and it's uh and it's it's fitting that sense like even if the the uh you're effectively your your enemies throughout the game are effectively working against you to prevent like even if they're like they have a somewhat malicious intent and like intent in their wanting to keep the dream world alive and in another sense, there's like kind of a frightening because like past the um, once I was well, a thing I noticed that really like I remember it and I distinctly tried to look for it this time around. But once you defeat the bosses from the fifth level onwards, there's this kind of little like haunting bit that plays that then they start to talk to you and be like, do you even know what you're doing right now? And yeah. You're like, Excuse me? What? Yeah. <laughs> And some that's you start getting clued off to that before you even get to the southern shrine, and then at that point, it starts to unravel from there. But it just makes things so disconcerting, and it gets it gets under your skin in a way. And it's not to say that the game is like really creepy. The charm, the fact it's contrasted so well, I think the charm is what adds such a huge part to it, is that it contrasts against itself so well. Kind of bring into the music more. It really that plays such a huge part in it. I, I, I feel like um. I feel like Game Boy games, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's this mysterious Ishikawa who played a part in into it, into it. But 
and maybe it's also growing up on him. It's it's probably a, a bit of both. But honestly, like listen to um like the credits themes to Super Mario Land one through three. I know that by saying Super Mario Land three, I'm really referring to Wario Land one. Um, the credits themes to those games, the credits themes to to Metroid two, uh, Wario Land two and three as well, or even just the entire Pokemon Gen two soundtrack, Gold Silver Crystal. It's like they they have. Ah, I'm not musical enough i don't have an understanding enough of music theory to describe it but they have like nostalgia like nostalgia chord progressions in them i can't describe it any other way than that other than that it just plays on you in a way that like after you've left you just feel like sad you feel <laughs> sad that you're like away from that experience now and whatnot and so like it, this like this game like the house theme is like a, it's a strange it's not thematically tied to anything and yet it's just a theme that's used that just makes you feel a longing for home it's it's strange and it all like I think plays such a big part just with the aesthetic that contrasted against this 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 surprisingly dark backdrop is what makes it work so well because in your mind this dream world is kind of this like kind of almost a fantasy in a sense is as home yeah so and it works to like connect you to it and endear you to it and then it kind of like the music kind of feeds into sort of the tragedy and it's like, you know, it's not the most groundbreaking story in the world, but it still can affect you and it's still fun and interesting to experience. But the fact that Marin, say the character that like rescues you and you have the strongest emotional connection with that you've heard her singing this song anytime you talk to her throughout the game, to have her be the one to teach you the song that if she knew, like, what you were going to do that she just wants to help you but you're gonna go and have this island disappear i don't know there's like in my sad mind i'm like man what if everyone on the island found out what you were doing what would they try to do yeah but you know i don't think we need that super dark turn in a game boy zelda (laughs) game where suddenly you have to like you know kill the villagers that would be a little too much but it's interesting to think about that it feels like um, there's a little boy in the village and every time you talk to him, it just, he says something like, why do you want to know how long we've lived on this island? I don't know. It's like making my head hurt to think about. And it, it kind of reads as very benign, but it's also like, really not? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. it makes me feel like, what am I saying to him? Like, stop saying that. Like, you're scaring him, Link. Like, please stop saying these things. <laughs> stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I need a dialogue option so this boy doesn't think I'm a creep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to, to, um, add something to the battle of the windfish that I actually, had, um, I thought about, cause I was listening on the way over today, just as I was kind of starting to get my mind prepared for talking about this, but the, um, besides just the, the main melody, like when it goes into the, the second part, it, uh, when it hits that high note, it doesn't, um, one thing that I think that makes it so haunting and leaves such a lasting impression is that it doesn't really, it doesn't resolve at all. It doesn't have a cadence, really. It hits that high note, it drops down, and if it's like one of the variants, like listening to Malin sing it, or if it's like like when you're first learning the song with her, you, you might hear it like loop again in particular. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, the song doesn't have a resolution at all, in that sense. It's like like in a constant just state of, yeah, of being, of being unresolved. And I, I found that, just like thinking about this, like, why does this like stick so much? Why does that high note like get under me so hard every time? 
it comes to that part of the song and give me give me shivers and i think that's uh, part of why is it's not meant to resolve like the resolution of the game is literally its end in that respect so ah uh, dang it this game is good <laughs> this game is really good yeah <laughs> make no mistake just it's it might be a game boy game it's it's probably it's probably easier to overlook the oracle games this, in this than this one and honestly like you shouldn't overlook links awakening and that's not that doesn't mean anything bad towards the oracle games because those are very very well-built games but Link's awakening is a game that like even through it's like more clumsier designs that only really just make for minor annoyances this is yeah it's when it comes to the aesthetics really do just carry this game so much on yeah. to, in addition to its design but the aesthetics are what makes for the through line that that helps it hit so hard in the end yeah and the choice to, like to have like the animal village and have so many of these characters you meet have like such interesting and creative designs that couldn't exist in Hyrule I think I don't know it just makes it a very memorable place a memorable journey you know and I think it's like it's one of those things where like yeah the island the island as you play through it like slowly becomes home and it becomes not necessarily a place that you do want to leave but you have a responsibility elsewhere and so you have to keep going on your quest and I think that all of I think all of the aesthetic choices and musical choices really help contribute to that vision. And I, I person and I guess this is just, you know, it's anyone's personal opinion or what they enjoy in the series that for me, I kind of like these personal stories in the Zelda universe. And I find this to me more compelling than a big sweeping Hyrule narrative at times. I mean, more so in compared to a link to the past which i feel like is kind of very straight faced and it's it's a big journey you're an epic hero sort of thing i kind of i like a little melancholy (laughs) in my (laughs) zelda games i like that sort of mourning for a lost world or having to sort of that bittersweetness like that's you know i really enjoy when they allow those elements to come through in these games so let's talk about how Link's Awakening moves forward in the series. And, it, you know, it's interesting. There's some stuff that it actually pulls back, you know, all the way from Zelda 1. So what do you think, Kyler? I think um, the screen-to-screen transition, it really does change. It, it does change the feel of the game a lot. It has a really big effect on just how the game is experienced because what you're experiencing from a moment-to-moment basis is purely that single square and not just the matter of how you're moving through the environment on the whole. And of course, based on the way this game is designed, it results in kind of a more memorable map. At the same time, also one that's somewhat harder to remember too, in a way. And I think that that kind of, um, that pulling from the original Legend of Zelda, but then in a different sense, like just very directly being like, okay, I'm going to take kind of what your limited design had to work with but I'm going to spin this in a whole different direction. And with a different design mentality in mind, we're going to kind of make a different kind of world map out of it. And so I think, um, I think it's one of the biggest pieces. I think that really, I think sets a, uh, like it's something that link a link to the past kind of in a way did. I think it's what makes it <laughs> the more I think about it in this context, I'm like, man, links like a link to the past is very intentional and a lot of its design is intentional, but there's parts of it that, that still feel like, okay, I think we're, you know, we're carrying on Legend of Zelda, but we're doing our own thing. But A Link's Awakening is like, 
I'm carrying on Legend of Zelda, but I am definitely like, I'm 100% like, yep, we're doing this. We're doing exactly this with it in a sense. And I think that shows that it's design and it's really not anything. It's not like some kind of fault against A Link to the Past, but rather it's just to say that like Link Awake- Link's Awakening recognizes what it's copying and then just goes ahead and spins it some other way. And it and it works. They, they're very clearly aware of what they were doing with this kind of design. Yeah, it's weird. It feels more like Zelda 1 than A Link to the Past to me in some ways, even though it's completely linear. It's more linear than A Link to the Past was. But yeah, the screen-to-screen thing is a huge, huge difference. Just thinking of how the navigation and traversal of Hyrule feels in A Link to the Past, I think of it... When I think of movement in that game, I think in diagonals. And it feels like the world map is constantly moving you in diagonals. And when I think of this game, I think of 90 degree angles. And it's like every every room you come into is a controlled experience. Every screen of the game is a controlled experience. And because of that, it also feels like, you know, I, I kind of found that for maybe if I had played Zelda 1 and then gone to if I had played Zelda 1 and gone to this maybe I would have felt that the seashells were a little less obscure because I would have just known if you're on a square you should just hunt everywhere for things and just right. you know mess around but coming from a link to the past where I felt like because of the way the world is built if it has secrets it needs to be a little bit more obvious about them otherwise you're never going to find anything so coming from that mentality it was like oh I only have like I only have like seven seashells. It seems like I should have more than that. It was kind of frustrating. Um, yeah. But I don't, you know, then it all depends on approach. It depends on what you're looking for, how you're looking for it. Um, but no, I enjoy that. I enjoy that it takes that screen to screen idea back. And it makes the dungeons really interesting because it takes sort of the idea. A lot of the dungeons are like... Uh, like like Zelda 1 did where their map is like a picture of whatever like the dungeon's supposed to represent. Link's Awakening also oh, does that yeah. and has puzzles that play into the shape of the dungeon. And Link to the Past couldn't really do that just because it, it wasn't what it was trying to do. And the way that the dungeon map is laid out, you'd see the floors separately and whatnot. So it just wasn't, it wasn't built on a 2D plane the way that this game is. Um, but I think it also allows the game to have more combat challenges and, and things like that. So I feel like it kind of weirdly takes a lot of design elements from Zelda 1 while also being able to do more with the rooms and have the rooms connect to each other in interesting ways. But it is interesting to see them play inside a space that is still constrained to whatever fits in the resolution of the Game Boy screen from frame to frame. It's just a different type of design. Yeah, especially in regards to kind of like how you point out the distinction between A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening in terms of how they treat secrets. While Link's Awakening is influential in a lot of ways as far as like how characters will be handled in a sense, I think the past, like it, it's kind of became more evident to me that that's that's the one that kind of set the template for how secrets are done. And that's kind of for better or for worse. I mean, it, like it works, it doesn't work, but it's like, I, I, it's, <laughs> I'm like, honestly believe Link's Awakening is like determined for you to not find heart pieces. Yeah. Outside of like the first heart container, they're just like, uh, yeah, you know, like this random room in a cave, just like that one spot in the corner that was just, for the most part, almost not signpost anyway. Yeah, that was that was like how you get to a heart piece that has no other room connecting to it that would hint you to it. And it's like, what? 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 There was still the one up in like Tall Tall Heights where you go into that cave and you see the heart piece separated. You see the heart piece separated by a wall. Yeah. I hunted <laughs> trying to figure out how to get to that. And I seriously never could. And I was like, well, screw it. 
Yep, it's it's some bum of a wall that's over on the west portion of it. It's just it's yeah. I just kind of well, and I missed <laughs> I missed three heart pieces. I think I missed three heart pieces and a link to the past, but I knew where they were. It was just that I didn't get the turtle rock one, and I was like, well, I'm not going to go do that. And it kind of felt like yeah. if I'm not going to get the completion of a heart container, why would I do these other? You know, why would I do the shovel mini game heart piece? What's the point? Right. Uh, but in this one. I, well, you know, it's like, I know I'm going to play this game again pretty soon. So I was like, screw it. I should just leave some mystery to it. But I definitely like I hunted and I tried. <laughs> I didn't succeed in finding them all. And I, I had to Google some seashells because I wanted the better sword. And I seriously and I, I wanted to put my shovel away. And I was like, oh, that's right. And I just totally didn't think yep. about the fact that I should be digging holes, which they're not that unclear. But yeah. you have to know that the game is asking you to find things in that way in the first place. And I didn't really realize that this time around. Yeah. But I do think, at least when it comes to the seashells, the fact that the level two sword is just a thing that the game is just like, yeah, you you um, you um might not even get this. Uh, yeah. Is kind of, I mean, the game's not like that terribly difficult to begin with. And again, I got the level two sword and then I got the red tunic from the color dungeon, which was, that's, I do it. I do it because it's fun and it's ridiculous and it it kills the combat in the game. Well, it, does, it never kills it. It's just more so it's just too fun. It's too fun because it gives you effectively the piece of power ability where like when you hit enemies, they just get swung across the room. It's way <laughs> too fun. So I, I just do it because it's just too fun. It's too much fun to do it. But the fact that it's like you could just totally not get the level two sword because oops, uh, the the bashing trees mechanic is back from linked to the past, but only on specific trees. And also when I found out this run, only in specific directions on the tree. Oh my god. That gosh. was like, what? I could have so easily like had the intuition and then just be like, huh, nothing here. Yes. Because you would have hit it from a side that wasn't intuitive at all. And you're just like, yeah. So that's that's a thing. There's at least two or three shells that are located that way that it's just like, what what? <laughs> so it's um you could call it unfair and and maybe it is, but I think it's, I think it's something that I feel like the series kind of in a lot of ways desperately needs more of is just to be okay with being missable. Maybe being obscure like that is a little ridiculous, but I think in order to combat kind of the basically signposting that A Link to the Past felt necessary to do and probably was in ways necessary to do, I think it was just like, it was like, well, we got optional stuff, so we'll just kind of put it there instead. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And besides the bombable ones in the dungeon, that's the only real offense in that respect. But, um, mm -hmm. but otherwise, it's just like, okay, I would have just, the only reason I know that those items are in the place that they are is because of memory. And that's it. That's all I got. Like, like the original Legend of Zelda was an experimentation of like, okay, memory, but also is there an intuitiveness to it? And at least there kind of was here <laughs> you've got me beat on that it is it is ridiculous at times yeah so it's a little too cheap in my opinion oh uh, yeah it might be reaching a little too much i think we if we could get it down to original legend solo levels or maybe a little even easier than that but still kind of keep it within some kind of obscurity for things i think that'd be fun i think it's necessary for the game and i like that this i like that um Link's Awakening really does that because it just is just like, I don't know, it really adds mystery to the world. Everything yeah. shouldn't just be obvious. It's just not 
No, I, I agree. I, I, I like the idea of missable stuff. I like the idea of having to hunt. I always think like it's like it's the bombable wall. It's the bombable wall question. Should there be cracks? Should there not be cracks? Should there always be cracks if they're going to be there, et cetera, et cetera? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes I don't know. I mean, like sometimes it's so obvious that it feels like why even put the obstacle there? So I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I think if it's just going to be. I think I'm yeah. fine with it in dungeons because dungeons, you are always hunting for a solution. So you kind of got to figure it out. I'm less okay with it just in like traveling around the world map and seeing, should I bomb this? It's kind of tedious uh, and just like frustrating to me. Uh, granted, I also in this ep same episode have complained about a bombable wall in uh, <laughs> the face shrine, but I thought that <laughs> one was weird. I don't know. I feel really gaslit by that one, by that wall. I'm like, yeah. I'm not stupid. I understand. I, I, I don't know. I tried to bomb. I was bombing all around it. And that one, I was like, oh, I won't waste any bombs. So I guess I can't bomb this wall. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think a big part of it, when I think back to Legend of Zelda, a big piece of it is that even if level eight is maybe a little unfair, you as the player have been conditioned to almost expect a situation like this to happen. Oh yeah, definitely. For Not, sure. Like it's it still can be kind of unfair and a little ridiculous that like when it happened because I'm I'm trying to remember unfortunately I had to draw a memory to remember if you have the map by the time you're trying to break effectively break into the second half of the dungeon or whatnot. I, I can't remember that off the top of my head because I feel like that might play a big piece in it. Um I don't really remember. I, I don't either, but I do know, like, when I think of one of the other dungeons where it's like, you know, it, the, an old man basically tells you, hey, it's in the eye. All of a sudden you're like, now you have a context for like, okay, so I'm looking at my map and visually I have this one space that I like doesn't seem like there's a way to get to it. So let's just kind of start like with the natural curiosity that you've already kind of been conditioned into, you will want to check that out. Link's Awakening by its design has less, like the curiosity that you're conditioned into is more of a simply moving around and just checking stuff out. It's not a, let's just try random solutions on a wall because the game has conditioned me to think about stuff like that. You really, even most of the dungeon puzzles and it's like layouts, they're more like, they have more to do with just simply the way you move about the dungeon, the way you have certain switches activated or way like you need to simply check out certain places from a different angle and there's less there's almost no expectations set for like hey by the way just um <laughs> this, this is the wall you can't bomb and <laughs> and for the most part i don't think there's any owl statue that tees you off to that type of thing and then suddenly the expectation for the rest of the game is i mean for the basically the last two levels in that sense is yep that's yep that's we're gonna do we're gonna do a bunch of that and it's like what that was kind of weird so it's one of the clumsier aspects of its design that i don't think they i don't know if they just didn't think about what the original did in that respect to kind of help guide the player in that direction even if it's felt unfair whereas here it's just like it feels clumsy it just feels more clumsy than anything the original does a good job of locking you in that room and it basically is like, hey, how are you going to get out of this? And it's already given you bombs. So it makes it clear and it kind of teaches you and it teaches you the dungeon. But in this case, yeah, it's just like you just keep getting mixed messages on that. So it's like, you know, it's a little frustrating and, you know, I, I don't know. I find it a little difficult to navigate the dungeons at times in this game. Yeah. And they're not 
always structure the best at times either. I think it just in terms of when it comes to backtracking, it's one thing to deliberately give the player distance so they have to constantly think about what they're you know trying to keep in mind as they navigate what stuff what states of rooms they have to kind of keep in mind that that's done here to some degree i just think like sometimes the way like either the midpoint warps like the midpoint warps are also a new thing yes in this game and mini will, bosses and mini bosses yeah actually yeah both of these oh shoot yeah those are both there were you know every now and then you would hit like a mini boss in like the original legend of zelda or like kind of have like tougher enemies but this is where it's like codified into it's part of the dungeon structure where you have a mini boss there's a warp that sort of deal and yeah. that you get an item and it's not the big key like a link to the past where you can do two things with that it's the item specifically and then you have to get the boss key yeah, the midpoint structure is honestly a bigger piece of a Link Awake Link's Awakening that would then be practically the structure for dungeon yeah, design. Like I, definitely. I think really a large part of the dungeon design. Like Link's Link the Past, sure they they give you the item midway through and then it's the rest of the dungeon. Um, but Link's Awakening is just like that's it. it yeah, it, it codifies that effectively. Is like that's yep, that's exactly what we do here. Yeah, well, and A Link to the Past was different because you would get the big key, and then the big key would unlock more of the dungeon. But most of the times, it would unlock almost what felt like a final run to the boss, where then you yeah. are in this other part of a dungeon that's very self-contained, and you go through like some combat challenges or like some basic puzzles, and then you get to the boss. But because you just get sort of a boss key in this game, which usually you are able to then get by using whatever the key item is, then you sort of see the whole dungeon, get a sense of its whole layout, and you like run into like, oh, that's where the boss is. Like now I got to come back there, find the way to get there, and it's something that becomes way more widespread. I mean, it, it's it is the Zelda dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> after this, it point. is, and it's not that one is really better than like one is better than the other specifically, but like there there are bits and pieces of Link to the Past that I miss in its structure. I think the big key yeah, is still I an aspect the big that's key. just. It's very, very unique to it, and I kind of, I kind of miss it in that sense because I liked how it kind of shaped the dungeon design in a way. Yeah. So. And the nature of a link to the past, because of because it could do more, I think its navigational puzzles were more successful because you had a better sense of this space, the building, and the structure. Whereas Link's Awakening dungeons are kind of weird because it's similar in that it's such a grid like Zelda One, but Zelda One doesn't have state changes and like rooms that you need to think about or revisit it's not about backtracking it's mostly just kind of it's a maze and where you have to you hit a dead end and then you try to find and you try to find wherever like the next place is but it's right. not based on oh i got this item so now i need to go all the way back through here and now i can do this and now i can do that it's just a different type of design it's more about just surviving and like doing what you can and figuring out where things are and getting lost. And I'm not saying we need to go back to that because it's a very simplistic design, but it's, it's not the cleanest of transitions because of the fact that Link's Awakening, all the rooms are the exact same type of square. Whereas A Link to the Past, you have longer rooms and like sweeping rooms and, you know, different variations on that. And just like graphical fidelity was different so you can portray the space better so i think it's just kind of like a weird clumsy union in that way where it's taking some stuff from a link to the past and i think that's why the dungeons can sometimes feel tedious to me is because you have too many instances of having to fight your way through and having to repeat puzzles and having to refight enemies in a way that you kind of would in the first zelda game 
but you have to backtrack so often. It's so built into the design that it just kind of feels frustrating. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are, oh yeah. I, I think of, um, I think of a couple of the particular like doors and switches in particular that need to be hit pretty much every single time you want to navigate a certain room. Yes. When really a uh, part of streamlining the design should have basically been like, okay, the player already knows this puzzle. Like unless, like unless part of the puzzle is the, the state change cuts you off and you have to figure that out more having you to have to kind of redo specific things just to kind of get rooms into the state you want in that sense can be kind of obnoxious. I, I think I face shrine. I'm thinking of the most. Yes. In that respect yes. Because... Face shrine felt like I had to fight like that one Riz robe room over and over and over and over. Oh my goodness. Or yeah, just like getting exactly through. Yeah. That. Just like that one was very frustrating. Yeah. There there's, there's places where it's like, even like it felt like having you redo the combat challenges was like a Zelda one callback, but in a way that's like, yeah, but Zelda 1's goal was to drain the player of resources. It yeah. was to basically make them deal with strife as they continue to go through. Like you don't Zelda 1 was you, like meant to punish you every time you went into the wrong room. But in this case, yeah. you have to go into every room. So why are you yelling at me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like why why am I why am I boomeranging a couple of wizard ropes together to bomb them again? This is just annoying. It's and like and yet there's also like a heart like a flying heart in like the next room over so it's like oh I just get my resources back so yeah why, it's why just am tedious. I doing this yeah yeah so there there's definitely I I think that is yeah that actually really makes me appreciate Link to the Past a bit more in that respect because um, apart from um, again apart from Legend of Zelda and apart from Link's Awakening the other top down games don't don't do this format anymore. Uh, we don't we don't see this anymore from later games. The Oracle games actually do large scale rooms like uh, like a link to the past in that respect. And I think it's I think they're much better for it. I think it's what makes I think it's what makes them masterful in their their dungeon design in that respect. And Link's Awakening like it feels it feels almost too limited by this structure. Um, but I don't think they were prepared to or knew like maybe I mean this was you know for a 1993 Game Boy game. I don't think they were prepared to do large-scale rooms like that. I think it made the most sense to pull from Legend of Zelda in that respect. But yeah, there's definitely... I think with that has come the more clear limitations because, like, you could even see them the way, like, certain ways, certain rooms are layered. You have, like, kind of split hallways. Again, I'm thinking Face Shrine again because it's the same thing, but, like, it, um, like the Eagle's Tower is another big place where it's, like, you have multiple entry points into the room that then exit in specifically different other directions that I f it feels like it, it works... But it ends up leading to kind of the confusion that I think doesn't feel like necessarily fair. That feels like part of remembering the environment. It's just kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's um, just odd because it's like, it, and it's not, so we're not saying necessarily that like, that, that things are not interconnected because even say like the scene, uh, the, even like the, there's like the main room sort of in like Turtle Rock where you do the path maker and it can go to these different paths and whatnot. So, you know, technically yeah. that's a room that's connected to these other things. But more so, I guess what we mean is that because it's so segmented and like you only see what's on the singular screen, it's like this weird marriage of having what feels like very individual rooms and what show up on the map all as individual rooms. Like a room on the map represents a screen on the Game Boy like one-to-one -one ratio, like it does yeah. in the original game versus Link to the Past where the rooms that show up on your dungeon map can have varying sizes depending on like where the walls are and where they begin and end. 
So it makes dungeon navigation feel maze-like and constricting, but then when you have it bridging the gap between needing to remember how to move these things over here and that this connects over here, it gets really difficult to visualize the space because you don't really have that relationship to it anymore. Yeah. But I will say that I think that it works really well for the world map, not as well for the dungeons and the way they execute them, but I think that it's pretty successful in the case of the world map because of how interconnected and dense, well, I guess interconnected isn't really the right word, but more so that it's maze-like, it's dense, you have to really think about it, and it feels kind of like a dungeon in its own because of how it links up which I think is fun and it's interesting. And it feels so detailed when you're at a screen and you have like a house or something like that. Anytime you stumble upon those things, it really feels like a discovery of something new because you can't see it coming on the horizon in any way. So you enter a new screen and you're like, oh, cool, this is something else. This is a, you know, it feels really neat in that sense. Yeah, like even just think about like the whole area that's devoted to basically uh, doing the puzzle for unlocking the uh i forget what the name the actual song is but the frog song oh yeah the signpost maze yeah that that's a, that's a whole three squares on the map that's it yeah that's it's like three squares dedicated three or four squares i think that are dedicated to that spot and i think that they put so much like they they, they put like a whole puzzle they use like that much real estate on the map to commit to to kind of putting a puzzle on the map in this way um which i think is really i think it's something that I think a link that passed was kind of lacking in a lot of ways. Like it yeah. was able to do like with some of its macro spaces, it did some things like that. It felt kind of empty and it's like, you know, you went from place to place. You you could spend a lot of time just using the Pegasus boots in a link to the past and you can't do that in this game. Yeah. They're kind of almost unusable in this game. <laughs> yeah, they really are. <laughs> they're, they're really not very good, which is no. why that design would get rethought later on too. So for the better. So it's just, uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they're like, well, this is what we got to work with because that's what Link the Past had and it just kind of makes sense. But we're like, oh, this isn't very good. <laughs> I, just, I only have it out pretty much just for the designated purposes. And even that's like a little clumsy. So outside of uh, that, but navigation, you really don't need the Pegasus boots in this game. Navigation is, is very quick overall. Yeah, Apart it from is. like. Apart from somewhat redundant roadblocks in places, like otherwise, yeah, it kind of it, it can be tedious. But if you know where to go, which I'm not great at, so I backtracked a lot. But if you're <laughs> smart, you can move around quickly. And the yeah. warps are the warps are helpful. I still the only time I got really annoyed was just like tall tall heights. It kind of feels like I just want to warp to places and like having to sort of backtrack all the way around, trying to like figure out where to go, and like that was very frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of laid out in a pretty stringently linear way that there's not much room for... There's really not much flexibility there. Yeah, I could have gone for maybe more warp songs or something. I wouldn't have minded better fast travel options, honestly. Yeah, I think just one or two more warps. I think one to hit the southwest corner, maybe. Yeah, or like one... If one warp could send you to the egg. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit closer. Because I think the closest one... There is one that's not... It's not too far. I mean, it's near the waterfall, but it is still a little bit there well actually well i just remember this and i don't you i don't know if you know this but the 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 mambo song mm-hmm. warps uh, you to tracy's yes crazy tracy's place yes oh, it's not it's a 
Or is that the song? Which, it's the song you learned from the fish. Yeah, the fish. Yes, yep. yes. The Mambo's Mambo or something like that. Mambo? Got play on word. Ma- Mambo's Mambo. Because, <laughs> I don't know, J- Japanese have an obsession with the, the Mambo fish, I think. <laughs> it's, it's very particular. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's interesting. Um, but they teach you the Mambo's Mambo. And, <laughs> yeah, I think its specific purpose is just to get you to, to, to yeah, I think it's Crazy Tracy is her name. Yeah, it works you there and then you find the ghost and all that yeah. stuff. Ooh, let's, uh, that's another fun little, that's, a, it's a small bit, but it's a bit that's worth mentioning. Uh, yeah, no bottle system. I think it's probably, yes. that's probably a limitation, but it's one that I think, like, significantly benefits the difficulty of the game. You know, Link's, Link's Awakening is, again, it's not like an especially difficult game. But I think sheerly just like, yep, you got one life restore, and that's all I'm pretty get. sure I died more in this game than I ever did. I, I probably died in A Link to the Past only at uh, whatever that butterfly-esque boss is. Um, Mothra? I no, dropped oh, into shoot. that My, thing. Is that the Godzilla? Never mind. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Dang I it. Don't I don't know. think it's that's like it. It's like the uh, swamp. No, it's not the swamp. Um, the, uh, the Lost Skull Woods, the Skull Dungeon. Uh, yeah, I think it's yes. at the Skull Dungeon, and I dropped into that scenario with like seven hearts and no bottles, and was like, "Whoops!" So okay. yeah, that killed me. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I don't really think I died. For maybe like a few times when I was just being careless. A Link's Awakening, I died much more often. Yeah, mostly in the you early really... game, then then not so much later. But you know, yeah, Tail Dungeon. I believe that's the first dungeon. That dungeon, um, that boss fight will catch you off guard. Yes. That can, that can wreck will. you pretty badly. Yeah. And actually, um, traps, the the things that, the bladed things that just slide when they when you kind of get in front of them, they hit you for a heart of damage. And they, they put them in that first dungeon. That's no joke. It's not even, I would, I'm not even going to call it like, it's not even like bad placement or anything like that. It's just straight up that that's a surprise. It's just like, oops, that's actually, wow, uh-oh. <laughs> Whoa! Like you get knocked into a hole by the one, particularly guarding the path of the rock's feather, and then suddenly half your life is gone. You're like, oh shoot, that's okay. So it's it's not so much that it's because again, this ain't no Legend of Zelda, and nothing will ever come close to it um, for a long, long time. But it is like you know, the games need some difficulty, and bottles crippled Link to the Past. I think yes. like it's still like I still remember like playing it bottles and having and a lot of trouble so with it. So many rupees, it's so abusable. But it's just, it's, yeah, it's just too, like, you know, having two life refills was essential in the in Legend of Zelda, and it was also pricey. So, like, yes. losing that sucked. <laughs> it yeah. sucked. And it's just, like, a thing you desperately, you wanted to keep those going as long as you possibly could. And uh, here in A Link's Awakening, the two factors, one, are accessibility. You're Similarly to the original, you don't get to see, you don't, I don't think you get to really access her until after, if I'm correct, I think after... Uh, the second dungeon. Yeah, you have so to you get still, the uh, the the power bracelet first to move the rock. Yeah, yeah. so you're you're uh, you know you're doing like the first like you know quarter of the game basically with your fairly limited amount of health, and it's not that the game again, it's not that it's hard, but you really can't afford to be that careless either. Yeah, it's just that will that will stick on you, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have a heart because I was being dumb, and I have literally nothing to recover me. I mean, you, you can get hearts and drops and stuff like that, but it's just like, it's, you know, suddenly you're like, your your ability to move around is going to be so much more limited when you have to deal with that stuff. And it is kind of, it is pretty 
because it's so easy to move around and whatnot, even though it's easy to attack enemies, it's also easy to take damage in that sense. And so I, I appreciate just the fact that the, your only life refill is basically that's the just that medicine and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not like, it's cheap. So that's really never a problem with it. it but it, the accessibility is a big piece. Suddenly you have to go to the Northwest corner of the map. Yes. If you ever want to pick it up. So it's like, oh crap. I wish I it was more expensive. I wish it was. I think it's like 47 rupees. I thought it was like 60 something, but yeah, no, even that, wouldn't even be, that wouldn't even be enough to still compensate it for that. So, and there's only, um, but fortunately, even outside of that, like there's only, I think maybe two places in the game you'll find it otherwise, like just naturally out of one of the chests in the dungeon. I think it shows yeah, up. Yeah, it shows up. It starts showing up more in the later dungeons. Yeah. But it's, it's like every time I picked it up, it was like, I already have one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like in a desperate need or anything like that. But I, I, um, I appreciate that. I think that helped a lot. At least it, it made the first half of the game definitely a lot more thrilling. Where it's like, yes. oh shoot, okay, I really can't just be a complete like dutz here and or futz or whatever idiot <laughs> dummy dunce. <laughs> dunce. Yeah, we'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and and just do that. So yeah, so I, I like that a lot. And. Uh, abolish bottles. Abolish bottles. Yes, get rid of bottles. Solid games. Get rid of bottles. I think the games don't need to be hard. They just they just need to make you conscious of the fact that they um, need you to yeah, make you, you think that you could die. That you could die. Yes. Yes. That's all that we really need. <laughs> that that's it. That's just that's just really it. Helps it. Like you the game should be like and alert. Like stay awake. Yeah. Don't. You can't just be clumsy. Stop it. Stop yes. It. Cut that out. <laughs> so that's that's when the game. That's when a game I think starts to kind of fall not fall apart but just kind of get well it's just you go through the motions and you don't you're not the combat just becomes a rudimentary part about it because you're not really you don't have to try that hard you know yeah so just kind of yeah eh. exactly so i think one thing that does suffer and i wish i don't know why they they did this i don't know if they were really worried about player accessibility i don't know what we want to call them but like there's there are basically items floating in the air like yes. on wings basically they they show you this as soon as you get the rocks feathered that like as a kind of first instance but these are these are plastered everywhere later they on they become the way 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 too frequent yeah like at certain point i kind of understand like they can be a godsend at certain points but it also just becomes like hey you gotta use bombs here and they but they respawn way too much and they should have focused those drops if they needed a scenario where you needed to be able to get drops they should just have enemies in there that give you drops that respawn. Yeah. Have a thing that like you walk two screens away or so and then you come back and you're like, oh yeah, I guess I can just refill my life before I go fight the boss. That's like, that's totally lame. It should just yeah. be like, okay, I'm here. I'm down like six hearts in a game that's capped at like 12 or 14 hearts. <laughs> that sucks, but I guess <laughs> we're just gonna have to do what we can. Yeah. Um. Honestly, oh geez. Now it makes me want to revisit the uh, the hack of the game and then just almost like remove those or something I don't know. That, that'd be i actually shoot i might do that and replay it or something that's totally unofficial and not something that counts towards in regards to this game but it's just a fun thing to think about but it is it really that's a, it's a weird like the game does you know maintain its difficulty overall and i think you would suffer more of those consequences especially because it's like at the, especially in regards to buying medicine like and again there's call back to the original there was at least a couple locations you could do it at and also warping got you there easily, but it's not like, like in Link's Awakening, like you warp back and it's like, if you were at dungeon eight, <laughs> you have to redo, unless you got to that, that warp point 
on part of the map screen that's near the dungeon, you have to run and do that trek all over again to get yep. back to level eight, which I think would yes. be at least a significant discouragement from being incredibly clumsy. So I think it also could have added a lot of backtracking that might have not been super nice, but I think they could have just found a better balance for that. So, yeah, I feel that. Um, so I think like one of the major things we can talk about and it's kind of interconnected. So I think NPC interaction in this game is a huge, huge step up. There's a lot of aspects to it. And then also a huge addition to this game, um, is definitely Koizumi. So I, when I was researching this game, I was going through the development and I saw that he was responsible for introducing sort of the dream mechanic, like the idea and concept of that. And then also was involved in sort of like the scenarios and the interactions um, with like the characters in the village. And I was like, well, that's some of the coolest part of the game. So this guy must've gone on to do some cool stuff, right? And then I went on and realized that he is like, why Majora's Mask is Majora's Mask. Like the time counter and like wrote a bunch of scenarios for the characters and whatnot. And even uh, in some of these like development interviews, when they're talking about the plot, they kind of go, oh, you know, that's that's uh, Koizumi's romanticism leaking through. And so I think he, <laughs> he had a really big that's impact awesome. on this game and like the way that like the plot moves through and the fact that even though they said that A Link to the Past was story focused, it's really not. This game is much more about like planting the seeds and telling a story and giving you build up between dungeons and sort of putting you on a path in a really designed and also enjoyable way to the point where you kind of can even maybe forget that it's such a linear game because it's done so well. So I think that his addition and being part of this is really cool. It's totally a different side of Zelda. It's like a spookier side of Zelda. And I totally feel that. I think, I love that this game has NPCs scattered throughout its map and that it has also like multiple villages, like the animal village and Mabe village and, you know, the creatures in animal village know who Marin is and you have to go bring her to, you know, you have to go bring her to the animal and the grandma at the beginning of the game ends up in the animal village at the end. It's just small little things like that. Like it's not huge, but even that little bit of it feels so much more alive to me than A Link to the Past like ever did. Yeah, I I love all the little bits, uh, just kind of the character moments you kind of deal with here and there. Um, just like that, that's definitely one of the big ones for sure. I, I also love the kooky lady who just says, Yahoo, I'm great. How are you? It's like, what? Uh, I am good. Okay, good to see you. <laughs> She's just really eccentric. And then you go inside to, I, I love, I love, I never really talk to him much in any of my playthroughs it's i never i never felt it necessary but it's a thing that's there oh the telephone need. the telephone guy yeah i think O'Rira. i think Ol yeah i think that's his name oh i went yeah. in there all the time yeah <laughs> or went yeah, to like the good. telephone houses he that's kind of a perfect response to oops i left my game like i just kind of was away from my game for a week what was i doing again and the yeah. guy was like oh yeah i think you should go to here and there's like kind of like a nice like characterization to it and there's also i love I love how they characterize him in a way that it's like on the phone. He's great. He's just like, oh, he's like, yeah, you can go this to these things. He's got like a little bit of characterization to the way he talks about those things. You go to talk to him in person and he's like, uh, er, um, if you could just 
like go to a phone and talk and and then it says afterward which i assume is in it, link's mind it's yes. like it, it seems that O'Reilly is not really much for talking he seems person. like he's really shy or something like that yes. <laughs> yeah he's actually pretty love, shy just, in person yeah he's actually pretty shy i was like oh, i love i love little bits like that it's uh yeah it's details like that or like the the boys playing who will tell you like rudimentary game control information and then say like they don't know why they know that <laughs> i'm just a kid it's like yeah. what yeah <laughs> It, the text, the dial, like the text and script is written and it's written in such a weird way. Some part of it feels like strangely archaic and maybe that's also way, like not archaic. I can't. Stilted, maybe. It, yeah, it feels weirdly stilted, but it kind of characterizes things well. I think what also adds the stiltedness is the the flow of text in this game, which is. Yes. Mm, and also the font. It's I hope you like reading italicized all day. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what you get. That's what you get. If you get the, if you have the capability uh, to play your copy in this manner, there's uh, variable width font as a as a hack for the game, and it's beautiful. And I was like, wow, my eyes aren't bleeding anymore. This is actually <laughs> wonderful. It's still stilted delivery and on the script and everything, but it's still like it adds a weird uh, charm to it. And it's like there's just bits and pieces that almost feel strangely just Japanese in there. And I think it's because of probably the raw translation, maybe the way it was done. Yeah, um, I like the translation then, like, though. It definitely, it, it definitely feeds into the feeling of the game. Oh yeah, it it doesn't really is not like a detriment to the game at all. I think so. Um, oh, but one of the other uh, character moments is uh, anything with with. There's only a couple. There's maybe like two moments with Taryn, but he's he's the other guy who's in the house. I believe that's his name. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm thinking of Ocarina. Yeah, no, Marin and Taryn. Marin and Taryn. Yeah, I <laughs> I love. I love that we're just straight up getting into uh we're probably getting into drug territory here, but he just you know, it's like, oh hey, uh thanks, man. I was just uh all I could remember, you know, what I all the last thing I remember was just biting into a big juicy mushroom and then all of a sudden I was dreaming about being a raccoon. I was like, was this guy like was this guy tripping? <laughs> this guy was totally tripping. And you put magic powder on him and the dude goes berserk, spins out, goes back to normal, and it's just like, what? <laughs> Was that a drug reference in my Zelda game? <laughs> just pieces like that. It this was is the something, 90s. It was the 90s. Uh, this is something that I think characterizes kind of at least the next 10 years in Zelda to a degree that I think I, I honestly love. I love this strange quirkiness. That I'm like, uh, the Japan is clearly leaking in this game right now. And it's, but it's great. It's so wonderful. Yeah. It's it has something that a lot of character. character. Yeah, it has a lot of character to it. Yeah, so I I love I love bits and pieces like that. Um, oh, but on a, another note in regards to characters, uh, th- these are just some fun smaller little facts here. This is uh, this is the first time we see some some romance with Link <laughs> in the series. This won't be the first time that it'll be the ladies' man. Um, and I Marin's just straight up like it's just like yeah, I, I like this guy a lot. I don't know why I just have some kind of attachment to him. And it's cute. There's really not like much to it. And of course, since Link is silent, there's not much of a response really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's a cute, it's a cute thing. You go on a date with her and then um, <laughs> because in, in just a Zelda, as much of a Zelda fashion as possible, when, <laughs> when you have Marin follow you, Link literally holds her above his head <laughs> And I think I don't know if the text literally says this. I think it says I think it says you got Marin. I think yes, it <laughs> I don't does. know if it actually it does. it does. 
And it's like, is like, could this be, could this be a chance for Link's big break? And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like, I everything about that moment is just pure. I think that's like that's Zelda in its purest form in terms of character. I love stuff like that. It's so, it's funny. so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like she's an item now. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> and she follows you like anywhere. It's great. Oh, oh, absolutely anywhere. And there's actually some exclusive uh, photograph moments that I always miss. That you can get from having her oh, around. Oh, really? Wow, I did not know that. I, I forget about them every time. But if you go into that well where you get the first heart piece, I know there's one there. I always I ask, I always forget. But if you go into there, there's one where she falls on top of you and then uh, the guy takes a picture and it's perfect. Oh my gosh. So, That's so interesting. It's wonderful. So I hate missing those. It, it just it bums me out. But it's it's fun. There's like I love that that's kind of a kind of a thing is that there's just places like that. It's like, oh, what if I just try doing this? And the game's like, yeah, you know what? Here you go. Yeah, there's a surprising amount of detail and like stuff that they just didn't have to do, but it's in there. Yeah, and another um, another aspect, just something I just kind of came up with my mind as well, was uh, just like the the mini games were in a link the past to some degree, and it's not that there's a ton in Link's Awakening, but they feel much more prominent and almost like kind of distinct in their nature too. Um, I think like you've like, like they're, they're like almost more abstract or even just more like bizarre for what they are for like the Zelda universe. Um, particularly like the, the fish or not the fishing minigame. That's actually more properly fitting, but it does. Hey, the fishing minigame does get started here. Um, but then you have the crane game at the start. It's like the first game you're exposed to. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, but then the other crazy thing is for how much the real estate is so important. Like the space, the usage of space is important to this game. They dedicate a whole four by four area to the raft game that's that's it that is all entirely for the raft game and what can you it. get from the raft game is there um, a heart there isn't a heart piece there right there's no heart piece i believe there is at least one secret she shell but otherwise it's just a good way to get lots of money it's a good way to restore <laughs> which you definitely need <laughs> yeah it's kind of redundant by the time you get to it but yeah. it's a thing it's, it's there so and it's kind of it's pretty thorough and it's and it's layout and design too so it's kind of it's kind of a fun addition so, but it's also crazy. Maybe they just were like, uh, you know, we actually don't, we actually have used our space really well. We don't know what else to do. So we'll plop this right here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's, uh, that's a thing we'll start to see a lot more and expand upon a lot more as well. So, okay. So let's move on, uh, wrapping it up. So what about this game? Do we remember the most? Yeah. So for a game about uh, effectively the end goal being, uh, a dreamland that effectively is being faded from existence in order for you to wake up like for something like that where especially when we've had too many narratives recently in media about oh it's just a dream and it just feeling inconsequential and cheap that doesn't feel like the case of this like in this like in this instance at all and i think well part of that is framing because because this whole experience it's not like it's not like like awakening as an end goal because like Link has an important thing to do. We have no idea what Link is ultimately doing and why he was out to sea to begin with. But rather to say like this start to end experience about being in this kind of dream world, something that's kind of built somewhat from Link's memories. Uh, and like in some ways, it's not expounded upon a lot, but just that it, that like Link's awakening's goal is, wasn't to like, just be like, oh, this dream has significance in regards to the the grander narrative. Like it didn't, it doesn't really have much of a care in the world other than this is this is the same link from a link of the past. That's the most we really know. Uh, it's more interested in 
and kind of this emotional experience of like, you know, of just questioning dreams and reality and whatnot in that sense. And I, I think, um, the large part, what makes it so memorable, especially compared to like a link, the past, I think it has parallels to link the past in a sense that like the start and the end of the game are, are really, really strong points, but both for almost entirely different reasons. Um, a link, the past was set out to establish its scope and it does so with those starting to end, but for Link's Awakening to work as a memorable experience where it's like by the end of the game, you are you are sad to be making the decision that you're making. It, like everything has to have mattered in a sense. And mm-hmm. um, for it to feel less like an a, point A to point B experience, um, I think they did such a good job of making like everything stick in your mind in a way that kind of makes you feel like a sense of nostalgia for it. And um, in a sense that is kind of playing off of dreams in a way i think it's a it's it's it is kind of it's a strangely profound little game in that sense that it it does that so well that like you know halfway through the game when you're not you're kind of getting senses of like where things are kind of tearing at the seams the game just kind of pulls it wide open on you you know kind of just sneaks it in and then it's like yep this is it and this is what you have to do and you're like I don't want to do this. Yeah. I, that's that's a big that's a remarkable goal to kind of strive for, especially for a humble little Game Boy game of all like of all things. Yeah. That that would just be like it's it's not just this is the Legend of Zelda experience. It's like this is it's it's more than that. It's kind of elevated beyond that because it's more than just this like more than just some kind of epic narrative and whatnot. I yeah. think it's it's personal. Know, yeah, it's very personal. And that adds a a ton to this game for that. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, it's kind of a lot of it is rooted in nostalgia. I've only played this game all the way through twice, including this playthrough. Um, And my history with the game was like playing on like a web browser based emulator. And there were, oh gosh, this was years ago. And there weren't any options to save the game. But I would just like, it would just be something that I would be like, oh, we don't have this game. And I would go back to it. Uh, and play it and I would always play maybe up to like the first dungeon so I I spent so much time like getting the mushroom and like being in Mabe village and like the woods and things like that and so I guess I just have like such a level of fondness for like the early moments of the game they've just like imprinted on my memory so much and like you know everyone knows about like stealing the shopkeeper and like, you know, going out into the beach and getting the sword. And it's just like all those opening game moments do so much to make me just like love Mabe Village. And it feels like home just so immediately. And I guess like that's the cool emotional thing that resonates with me about Link's Awakening as like they kind of found weird emotional like lightning in a bottle that like there's something about this game that just like really feels so homey and so comfortable to me and so endearing. Next episode, we dip our toes into a new dimension with Ocarina of Time. Regarded by many as the best in the series, we'll take a trip into the adult timeline to see if it still lives up to the hype. Next time on A Retro Perspective.